Um, this week and next week, um, I'm going to uh, be doing a couple sermons uh, using acrostics. When I was a, a student, uh, one of the tricks that we learned uh, in school to help us learn things and remember things was to come up with an acrostic for certain words in order to help us remember aspects of that word. And so uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at a couple different acrostic sermons. That's what I call them. These are my acrostic sermons. And, uh, but they're both about two very I important topics. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about the touch of God. Now, in our culture and in our world, we, we know what it's like to, to be touched. There are basically two kinds of touch in our world today. There are positive touches. Um, things like um, a hug would be considered a positive uh, touch. This last week was the last day of, of school for our kids, and uh, I went down to our um, uh, awards assembly for our, for our two that are in elementary school, and uh, Gabby was in Miss Thomas's class uh, this year, and I'm so thankful that all three of my children got taught by Miss Thomas, and I'm so thankful for that. And um, say what? Oh, well, thank you, but uh, we, we, we appreciate all of our teachers, but it, it was just, it was really nice to have all three of our kids taught by, uh, by Miss Thomas because I know her heart, but one of the things that she said during um, her class awards was that when uh, the kids want to come into the room, they don't come in until they get a hug, right? And so every day, the kids would come up and give a hug. Now, that's a positive touch, and, and it's needed. And, and I, I couldn't say this then, but I'll say it to Nidra now. I appreciate that because that may be the only positive touch some of those kids get uh, during the day. And so that's an amazing thing. But a hug is a positive touch. Um, holding someone's hand, um, particularly when um, they're hurting or when they're struggling, to just give them that reaffirming touch or a hand on the shoulder um, or a pat on the back or, or um, a pat on the head or something like that. Those would all be considered positive touches. Now, in, in our culture and in our world, there's also negative touches. Um, things like uh, punching, hitting, kicking, uh, slapping, um, headbutting, elbowing, all of those things uh, would be considered a negative touch because to do those things are, are specifically done to cause pain, to cause discomfort. Um, and, and so we, we probably all had both of those types of touches in our life. We've probably all had positive touches and we've probably all had negative touches, whether or not um, it was punched by someone else or kicked by someone else, or maybe you just got in trouble and you got a whooping by your daddy. But either, either way, that would be considered a negative touch because it, it, it inflicts a little bit of pain and, and a little bit of suffering with that. But the point of it is, and what I want to say about those, is that each of those two types of touches has some kind of impact on you. It has some kind of impact, whether it's a positive impact or a negative impact. Both of those touches have some kind of impact on you, and when you are touched, it will impact you in some way. Well, in Scripture, we have many examples of God's touch on the lives of people and what it did in their lives. There were, for example, there were physical touches. 
Um, uh, there, there are examples of that where um, God touched people physically and amazing things happened like uh, the man with the withered hand in Matthew chapter 12, he was touched and his hand was healed or the man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1 who was touched by God and, and his leprosy was healed or the only son of a widow from Luke 7 and the daughter of Jairus from Mark 5, both of which um, were um, dead and by the touch of God were brought back to life. And so we, we see in Scripture examples of physical touches of the hand of God and, and what it did and how it did amazing things. But there's also spiritual touches uh, from the Word of God. Um, and, and there's examples of that. One of them is our verse that we're going to read in just a moment. But before we talk about that, uh, here's an example for, from Scripture. The, the Apostle Paul was touched by God. Uh, spiritually. Now, we know a lot about the Apostle Paul and how he was a persecutor of the church. As a matter of fact, when he was touched by God, he was on his way to do more persecuting, okay? And yet God touched him in his heart, in his life, and, and, and that spiritual touch brought him from persecuting the church to becoming the greatest evangelist missionary of the first century church and arguably the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the, of the church, and so there are, are different types like that. And then we have an example in 1 Samuel chapter 10 of God's touch. And I, wanna, I want us to read that together and then we'll continue. So if you have your Bible open, open them with me and stand with me uh, and let's read together in 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to just read one verse, but it talks about a very specific touch of God. And um, this is where Saul was received as king, and, and after he was received as king, Samuel sent all the people back to their homes. And listen to what, in verse 26, it says, And Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and, and brave men, listen, whose hearts God had touched, went with him. Brave men or valiant men whose God's hand had touched went back with him. Let's pray together. Father, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word and all the different scriptures we're going to go through today. I pray that you'd bless them and that you would use them to speak to our hearts today and to remind us of this great, powerful, encouraging truth of what your touch does in our hearts and our lives, that today uh, we would leave knowing that we've been touched by you through your word. Father, I pray if there's someone today that's never been touched by you, that by the end of this service, you will touch their hearts and they would come uh, to the point of salvation to being one of your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, and so here we have another spiritual touch where these valiant men went with Paul when he was coronated by Samuel to be, to be the king. They only went with Saul because God had touched their hearts. Now, there were others that could have went and could have done what they needed to do, but they didn't go, and they very specifically didn't go because they hadn't been touched by God. The, po the point is, when God touches someone, whether it's physically or whether or not it's spiritually, there is something that happens. There is a change that takes place somewhere. Something happens when God's people or when God touches people. And so this morning, I want us to look at an acrostic for the word touch and, and learn a few things, a few very important truths about the touch of God and what we know that his touch will do in our lives. The first thing that I want you to know about the touch of God is when God touches you, it transforms you. The touch of God is a transforming 
touch. Listen to what the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, this isn't the only place this is mentioned, but it's very specifically mentioned here, so I want to read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Word of God says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The point is, the touch of God, when we are touched by God, it brings the forgiveness of sins to those who repent and believe, and it brings cleansing power to those who yield ourselves to God, and it brings transformation in our life. The touch of God makes everything new. That's what it says. The old is gone. Behold, everything has been made new. When we are touched by God, we receive a newness, a new creation in our lives. Well, what are some things that change us? What are some of the new things that we get by being touched by God? Well, here's, here's three real quick I can give you. Number one, when God touches our life, when God touches us, we receive a new life in Christ. That before we were touched by God, the Bible tells us very clearly that we had no choice but to live according to the flesh. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians and in many other places, the book of Galatians actually talks about it as well, and tells us exactly what the, the fruit of a, a life lived in the flesh is. It's sexual immorality, it's, it's any kind of immorality, it's hatred, it's envy, it's strife. Um, it's drunkenness. It's, it's all of the different things you can imagine that are sinful. That's what it is to live a life according to the flesh. And before we're touched by God, we have no choice but to live that way. But Scripture says that when we're touched by God, for the very first time, we have an opportunity to live not according to the flesh, but instead according to the Spirit. And the works of the Spirit are the total contrary of the works of the flesh. And so that's what one of the things that happens when we receive a new life in Christ. He touches us, and we no longer live by the flesh, but instead we become filled with the fruits of the Spirit. We, we, we have this time uh, where we become uh, one who wants to live to please the Lord. We become one who desires to love God and to love people. We become someone who, that doesn't say that we love Jesus, but we actually love Jesus, and we prove it with our words and our deeds. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in doing that, but it means there will be a change in your life. Listen, if you don't hear anything else, hopefully you hear a lot this morning, but hear this. There's no such thing as God's touching you and it not changing you. That doesn't happen. If God touches you, there's going to be a change in you. A few weeks ago, we talked about this in our Sunday night Bible study in the book of Hebrews. And it's not that um, we, we, we don't produce the same amounts of fruit, but we do produce the same kind of fruit in our lives. We don't all produce the same amount of fruit all the time. If you go to a vineyard, they're all fruit trees, and they all produce the same kind of fruit. But some trees produce a little more than others. If you go to an orange vineyard, you go to an orange, look at the orange tree or an apple tree. They all produce apples, but some produce more than others. And, and so you may not produce the same love. Let's just use the fruit of the spirits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's just use those. You may not produce the same amount of those things as someone else that's in Christ, but you will produce the same things. There will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life as a believer. 
Why? Because you've received a new life. The old is now gone. Behold, now everything has been made new. Are you going to live perfectly according to that? No, but there will be evidence of it in your life. That's one of the things the touch of God will do. Another thing the touch of God will do uh, when it comes to transformation is not only do you receive a new life in Christ, but when God touches you, you receive a new death in Christ. Have you ever stopped to think about that? There are two types of death in this world. There are those who die in sin and those who die to sin. And that's it. And a great example of that, if, or if you look at, at the story of Jesus hanging on the cross, you have an example of both on each side of him. You have one thief who's on the cross who refuses to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And basically becomes a mockery in and of himself, saying, if you really are who you say you are, then take yourself down off the cross and all this stuff. And, and the other thief says, no, you don't, you don't understand. We, we deserve what we're getting. This man's done nothing. And then he turns to Jesus and says, to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turned to him and said, surely I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. One died, they both died. One died in their sin, and one died to their sin. And when you become a, a, a child of God, when he touches you, your death changes. And, and no longer do you have to fear death. You, you get to actually, in a lot of ways, look forward to death. I know that's hard to hear, but it really is something that we can look forward to if we know what's on the other side. Thankfully, we have the Word of God that tells us what's on the other side, so it is something we can look forward to. Whereas if you don't have that, then you have nothing to look forward to but certain destruction. And so there are just two things right there that we receive when God touches us, when He transforms us. And the third thing is not only do we receive a new death in Christ, but we receive a new eternity, which kind of ties in with the death. Instead of being sent to a certain destruction in a place called hell, because we've been touched, we now get certain paradise, which is with God in heaven. And so those are three real quick things that happens when God touches us with his transforming touch. So when God touches us, the touch of God transforms us. The, the question is, have you allowed God to touch you and bring transformation to your life? Because no one can bring that transformation but God himself. You don't get that transformation through someone else. You do not get your transformation through me or through your Sunday school teacher or through your spouse or through your children or through your parents, your aunt, your uncle, whoever's raising you. You do not get the transforming touch of God on your life through those people. You get the transforming touch of God in your life through Jesus and through him alone. So have you allowed him to transform you through his touch? The second powerful truth about God's touch and what happens is not only does his touch transform us, but the O would stand for ordains. The touch of God is an ordaining touch. Now, now listen to what I'm saying. Uh, many Christians fail to understand and follow the idea that the Christian service or Christian service itself is for all believers in Christ. Some tend to think that the only ministers are the, the, the ones 
um, of the gospel are only the ones who are, quote, maybe, if you look at it this way, paid to do so or in a leadership role within the church. Some think only ministers are to, to do the witnessing to the unsaved, to help those in need, uh, to do the various ministry there is. But I want you to know, when God touches you, he actually ordains you to service. Now, there is an ordination that is important in the local church, and, and that's ord ordaining two different groups of people. There's ordination of pastors, and there's ordination of deacons, and both of those are serious aspects that need to be taken seriously, and they are very specific in having ordaining services. It's a time set aside to, to charge them. Well, first of all, you got to examine them, and then you have to charge them with their task, and the church has to actually decide whether or not that person has a call of God on their life, and it's a very sacred time. It's not a time that should be done away with, and it's not a time that everyone should go through, because not everyone meets the qualifications of pastor and deacon. But as a believer, all of us have been ordained with the task of service, every single one of us, not just the professional ministers. Listen to the way Jesus said it, in John chapter 15, he says it like this in verse 16 of John chapter 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and listen, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Uh, here, here's another example of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of God reconciling the world through Jesus... That ministry, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, was given to the church as a whole. Not to the pastor, not to the elder, not to the deacon, to the church. And then if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see that one of the ways that God intends for this to happen is he gives the church these gifts of ministers, people whether or not they're prophets, pre, uh, prophets, preachers, teachers, evangelists, whatever. He, he gives them those as gifts for a very specific task, according to verse 11 and 12. And that is, God says that he, he gives the church these gifts for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, there, there's a very important reason why we need to grasp that. There's no way one person can do all the ministry in a local church. It's impossible. And I've said this before, and this is not, by the way, an old poor pitiful Dwayne time. I only have 24 hours in a day just like you. Right? I, I mean, God doesn't give me more time. I'm not Santa Claus. I mean, what I mean by that is I don't have an unlimited number of time to do the ministry. Like Santa Claus has an unlimited number of time to do his gifts on Christmas Eve. I, I don't have, I've got the same amount of time you do. And I have limitations like you do. And I have other things I have to take care of other than church stuff as well. I have a wife and I have children. I have things I have to take care of. And you guys have been great to me in that manner. But you need to understand that's one of the reasons why we all need to be involved because sometimes ministry falls through the cracks and the pastor can't do it all. Neither can your youth pastor or your VBS leaders or whoever. We, we, we are in this together and we have to work together because so much more can happen when we're all doing it than when one person is doing it, you see. 
And so we need to understand that when God touches you, he not only transforms your life, but he ordains you into his service. And that's a high calling to be a part of the service of God. And we all need to take that seriously. And we need to understand that we have something to offer. And that's where some people draw the line. Some would say, I have nothing to offer, Brother Dwayne. I'd be more than happy to help, but I just don't have anything to offer. Or some would say, I don't, have, I don't know enough. What do you, I mean, I just, I want to help. But I don't know enough to teach or to do anything like that. But I want you to know you definitely have something to offer. Because we've all been given spiritual gifts to be used in service to the Lord. If you want to know more about that, you can read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But on top of the spiritual gifts that you and I have been given, we've all been given talents. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't have some kind of talent. Whether or not it's uh, someone who's a good cleaner to someone who's a good mechanic or a good teacher or a good encourager or a good musician, a good singer, a good carpenter, or even a good talker. We all have good talents, and those talents can be used for the glory of God in his service. Years ago, and I know I've shared this with you before, but I'll say it again. It's the greatest example of it I've ever seen. But there was a woman in Seminole, Oklahoma, that her pastor was charging the church to be involved and realize that you have a place you can serve. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a part of the big three. You don't have to. What I mean by that is you don't have to be a, a teacher, a singer, uh, or I don't remember what the third one was. Uh, but anyway, you don't have to do the big three. You can still be involved in ministry. You need to find your talent. And this lady was thinking of herself, was, what can I do? What's my talent? And, and it very become very clear. Her talent was cleaning. That She was a very good cleaner. You know what her ministry became for years? She would read the newspaper and see the obituaries and then go to those people's homes and say, I'm here from First Baptist Church. I know you just lost a loved one, and we want to minister to you. Is there any way that you would allow me to come in and clean your bathrooms? Because we know you're going to have lots of family and people coming over. And just willingly gave of herself, and that's what she did. And she went around and cleaned bathrooms to the homes of Christians and lost people alike all throughout the community of Seminole. That that's what ministry is. It's understanding if you have a talent, use your talent to the glory of God because God's ordained you to serve. Okay. The third thing that happens is when God touches us, not only does he transform us and not only does he ordain us, but the touch of God actually unifies us. It's the touch of God that brings unity to the church. When um, Garen, we found out Garen uh, was going to be born uh, the way we found that out was actually not through a doctor. It was actually through my wife and through God's Word. And she was reading one day in Scripture, and i got to tell you this because it's amazing and it's true. She was reading in Scripture, and she was reading in Psalms 133, and she read Psalms 133.1 that says, Blessed are those who... Um, uh, so let, let me just rephrase that. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. And she told me that when she read that scripture, just as sure as she was standing there, she heard the Lord tell her that she was pregnant and she was going to have a boy. Now she come and told me, and I didn't I, I wanted to believe her, but we went and told our pastor, and I love our pastor. But our pastor was like, well, you know, maybe he was just saying, you know, you're gonna get pregnant or or, or maybe he's not telling you you're necessarily going to have a boy, but, you know, in some time. And Jenna was like, that's not what I heard. 
I heard him. He told me I'm pregnant and I'm, you're, it's going to be a boy. And, huh? Oh, just the pregnant part. Well, I added the boy part. It sounded good. <laughs> I thought it was the boy part, too, but thanks for correcting me. I thought it was the boy part, too, because it was brothers and sisters. Maybe that was me. But either way, she heard God tell her that she was pregnant. And we'd been trying for months to have a baby. And the pastor wasn't too sure. I wasn't too sure. And lo and behold, guess what? She was pregnant. And we had a boy. And so, I mean, the, the, the scripture, though, that I've always held on to in that story was, Blessed are those how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Now, in our household, that hasn't happened all that often, so I'm still waiting for the second half of this verse to come true. But truthfully, the only way unity really happens is through the touch of God. I want you to know many churches fail because their members are not united. And the reason why they're not united is because they're not pulling in the same direction. They're all pulling in opposite directions against one another. And from experience, I want you to know there's nothing worse than a church that's in disunity. Um, typically, a church that's in disunity, they are mean to one another. They bicker and complain and criticize one another. Uh, many times they spin their feet, but they're going absolutely nowhere. And normally it's over the silliest stuff you can think of. Whether or not, and I, I know I've said this before, I'm, but I'm telling you it's true, whether or not it's over the paint color on the walls or the carpet color or the order of service or even the music style. That's normally what the biggest arguments are in the church that cause disunity. But it's, and it's really sad to see disunity amongst the, amongst the brethren in the church. But Scripture is clear that unity is the, of the utmost importance for the believers. As a matter of fact, if you want to... You know, a lot of times we, we say the Lord's Prayer and we, we start talking about our Father which art in heaven. That's the Lord's instructional prayer. If you really want to know the Lord's Prayer, you need to read John 17 because that's His prayer. And it's His prayer for His church. And there's a recurring theme in John 17 that He prays for on numerous occasions in John 17 for His followers. And that was that they would be one. That they would be unified just as Him and His Father in heaven were unified now, I want you to know God desires for our church to be unified because a unified church is a powerful church. But there's only one way that we can become unified, and that is if God touches us. Because our natural tendency is to go our own way and to force our own personality or our own ideas instead of becoming someone who is open and understanding of other people and other people's ideals and other people's thought processes and what God may be leading other people and the direction he may be leading other people. And so if we don't have the touch of God in our life, we are just scattered about doing our own things. But I want you to know, but when we're unified, we really are powerful. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A church that is unified, even though it undergoes immense amounts of pressure and trouble and, and, and all the different kinds of things, will hold together if they're unified. How do you think the church has survived for 2,000 years? We have all seen churches close down because of their disunity, but the church is still here. Why? Because there's been a lot, a lot of churches that are unified. 
and that unity has enabled them to undergo everything from the first century church persecutions all the way through the 21st century church arguing over music style. That's, that's where we've come. And, and unity is what delivers us through that, and that only happens through the touch of God. Okay? The, 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 the C then stands for, though, not only does he transform us and ordain us and unify us, but he also, the touch of God, is a conquering touch in our lives. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I wasn't real old when the first Gulf War started in, in, what was that, 1990, 91, somewhere in there. I wasn't real old. I think I was in the fourth or fifth grade. Um, and, and, but I remember um, sitting and watching lots of news and, and watching the, the different things trans, uh, transpire. And something that I've not only read about, but I remember seeing uh, on the news was during that first war when we finally attacked, um, they were expecting a larger fight than we've got. And the reason why is because many, not all, but many of the Iraqi soldiers, as soon as they saw American soldiers, surrendered. They didn't fight. Many of them, as soon as they saw an American soldier, they hoisted up something white, and they walked towards the lines, hands up, weapons down. They didn't want any part of a fight. Now, I didn't say all. I said many. And it was one of the reasons why the fight wasn't as long as what many expected because they expected the Iraqi soldiers to fight, and they didn't. Many of them just said, you know what, we, we surrender. We do not want to fight in this war. But what's, what's the point of that? The point is that many times Christians, we give up that easy. As soon as we encounter the enemy... Or an attack of the enemy, we throw our hands up and quit. I'm done. We, we, we throw our hands up, whether or not it's when we're persecuted, maybe it's when we get rebuked or when we fail to get our own way, but either way, sometimes we, we quit way too soon. I, I, I believe that most people in this room know someone who has walked out on their church and on their faith simply because they were attacked or they didn't get their way. I would say most in this room know someone that fits that. But the touch of God, when we're touched, is actually a conquering touch. The touch of God gives us the courage to conquer in our battles. The touch of God furnishes the strength and what we need to enable us to continue fighting our battles moving forward. Listen, the, the scriptures make it very clear that the Christian life is a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And, but we've become conquerors in that battle already. But many times we lose the battle because we refuse to face the battle. We try to run from it. Did you ever notice that, that scripture doesn't tell us to flee our enemy? Now, it, scripture does tell us to flee things like sexual immorality. But when it comes to fighting the enemy, which in this realm would be Satan and his demonic influence, Scripture doesn't tell us to flee him. It says to resist him. Resist him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil. I don't know about you, but um, I always thought that was interesting that I should flee things like sexual immorality, but I should resist Satan. 
All I know is God gave me and gave every Christian here a spiritual armor. If you want to read about that, you can read about it in Ephesians 6. And that spiritual armor covers every aspect of our front, but it leaves our backside wide open. The reason why we're not to run from our enemy is because when we run from our enemy, we have no protection. But when we face our enemy, we have the protection we need, and we are conquerors, not in our own power, but through the power of Jesus Christ, because the touch of God is a conquering power. And when we don't allow the touch of God to conquer and we quit because of that, listen, we lose out on the victory that God has for us. We lose out on that victory. And then the last aspect of the, the power of, of God's touch is the H, and that is God's touch brings healing power. Healing power, or it's a healing touch. In Matthew chapter 8, Scripture says, Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I want you to know many have never experienced divine healing because they lack faith. Now, I know that it's not just faith that brings healing. And I know people who had faith praying to be healed and had that faith. But the Bible is clear that if it ha that it has to be a part of the will of God for healing to take place. But we, whether or not we're healed or not, have to have faith that it's going to happen. But what I do know is there are some that aren't healed because they don't have faith. And I'm not just talking about physical healing here. I want you to know there are many in the church that are suffering from spiritual pains, spiritual hurts, and spiritual sicknesses that haven't been healed because they haven't given them to God in faith. Some give them to God for a moment and then take them right back up again. You ever been guilty of that? You give this to God and then you don't think he's working fast enough so you yank it back and you're going to take care of it. That never works out well, but that's what we like to do. And then others just like to roll around in their pity. We, we, I've seen this in the church. People who, who didn't want uh, to trust God for whether or not it was physical healing or, or spiritual healing, they weren't happy unless they were miserable. You ever met someone like that? So sad. But it's true. We've seen them. I've seen them. People that aren't happy unless they're miserable. And, and so they miss out on the healing power of God, but, but the touch of God does bring healing. Whether or not it's physical, mental, spiritual, or relational, God's touch does bring healing. You say, well, Brother Dwayne, what about those who, who, weren't, who weren't healed physically even though they trusted God? We need to understand that even if someone is healed physically, they still face death. Do, do we not understand that? I mean, truthfully, if someone's healed of a physical sickness... At some point, they're still facing death. But someone who's been healed spiritually will never face death. I've, I've prayed and have prayed and continue to pray with people that have been diagnosed with these sicknesses and these illnesses that have been given little to no hope of physical healing. I, when I pray with them, I pray for physical healing if it be a part of the will of God. But more than anything, when they're a believer, I thank God for the spiritual healing that takes place in their life. Why? Because that spiritual healing assures us that they won't die. Right? 
Isn't that what Scripture tells us? Anyone who's in Christ, they won't die. You've, you've crossed from, life, from, from death to life immediately upon accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. That your body may shut down, but who you are, you won't die. You don't go through physical death. But if someone who's, who's only healed physically will still face death, someone who's healed spiritually won't even face physical death. They just go from this life into the next life, no death. And that's hard in the moment to understand. It's hard in the moment to, to comprehend. But I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that the touch of God is a healing touch. Whether or not I'm, if I'm ever sick like that, whether or not I receive some kind of physical healing, I would praise God for that. But more than anything, I'm thankful that when he touched my life, he healed me. And what did he heal me of? The greatest ailment that all of us have. Greater than AIDS, greater than cancer, greater than anything else you and I could have. He healed us of our sin. You don't go to hell because of cancer. You don't go to hell because of AIDS. You go to hell because of sin. And Jesus has healed us of our sin problem. And we've received spiritual healing from that. So the touch of God is a transforming touch, and it's an ordaining touch, it's a unifying touch, it's a conquering touch, and it's healing touch. Really the question then comes, have you been touched by God? Have you allowed His touch to do these things in your life? If not, would you let Him? Would you let Him touch you this morning to bring a transforming power to your life, a, an ordaining power to your life, or a unifying power to your life or a conquering power to your life or most importantly a healing power to your life to your greatest ailment the ailment of sin